start in Matthew 28. We've not started there for a while, but this is our theme. In Matthew chapter 28, and verse 18, Jesus is meeting with his core group of disciples in the mountain there. And, he's, and he says in verse 18, in Matthew 28, And Jesus came and spake unto them, saying, All power, or all authority, is given unto me in heaven and in earth. Go ye therefore, and teach all nations. And that has the idea of making disciples, getting people saved. Baptizing them in the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Ghost. Teaching them to observe all things whatsoever I have commanded you. And lo, I am with you always, even unto the end of the world. Amen. Of course, if you have studied this much, you'll know that this is called the Great Commission. It's an evangelistic commission to preach the gospel throughout the world. But it's also obvious that it's not just an evangelistic commission, but it's also a commission to disciple people, where he says, teaching them to observe all things which I have commanded you. And in this series, we've been emphasizing those commands, those imperatives of the Bible. And uh, it's important to understand the weight of what's being said here. These are commands that are from the king. They are uh, meant to be obeyed. Uh, they, they, it's the language of kings, the imperative mood. And oftentimes we, when we see a command or are given a command, uh, we ask ourselves, should I do it or do I feel like it? Uh, but this is a king's command and it doesn't really matter how we feel, uh, we're just to do it. And so all of these imperatives that we've been studying or we come to the end, we try to lay it at my heart's door and yours and uh, see how we're doing. From the very start, I've encouraged you to understand that these are commandments that's impossible for us to do in our own abilities. <clears throat> we need the Lord to do that. He, he uh, gave us the command, be ye perfect. That's impossible for us. To love our neighbors as ourself, that's pretty impossible for us. But Paul said in Philippians, for it is God which worketh in you both to will and to do of his good pleasure. And so when we have these commands given to us, these imperatives that we're working through, they're not given toward a command towards our own abilities but they're commands given to the heart and not just to the body or our everyday living. To the heart in the sense that uh, it's going to have to be out of the heart that we obey these. As Paul said, not with eye service as men pleasers, but as the servants of Christ doing the will of God from the heart. 
And so that's where it really boils down. This whole thing kind of boils down that to that because Jesus said, if you love me, you'll keep my commandments. And so following these commandments and doing what the Lord has said is a matter of our love for him. This morning, we're, I think, about the 22nd command, but it's found in chapter 7 and verse 15. Chapter 7 and verse 15, the command right there at the beginning, and then a lot is said down to verse 20. But in the imperative mood, the command is in verse 15, beware of false prophets, not a suggestion, but a command, which come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly they are ravening wolves. You shall know them by their fruits. Do men gather grapes of thorns or figs of thistles? Even so, every good tree bringeth forth good fruit, but a corrupt tree bringeth forth evil fruit. A good tree cannot bring forth evil fruit, neither can a corrupt tree bring forth good fruit. Every tree that bringeth not forth good fruit is hewn down and cast into the fire. Wherefore, by their fruits you shall know them. And so, as I've mentioned here, the word beware, it's the idea of literally to take hold of something and, and not move from that. It's the idea it was used to moor a ship or to tie something up. And, uh, and in the scripture, it's, it's nearly always used in relationship to false teaching. And so, he's telling us, you know, Get a position and hold on to it. Uh, it. It needs to be a biblically a position. And so uh, he's, um, he's warning us and giving us a responsibility to watch out for false teaching. Remember also that uh, false teaching is more dangerous in the more truth it contains. A lot of false teaching has some truth in it, but in the end, it's not, it's deadly. And, and he says that it's, it's like a, a wolves that want to destroy you. And so th- there's a warning. Now, we're going to look at a number of scriptures here, but I think the first thing I want to uh, point out is why are there so many false prophets and they're prospering? Uh, you know, they're on TV, you know, they're making big money. They're uh, having air-conditioned dog houses and, and gold faucets in their bathroom. And here's the deal. There's always a market, if that's a good term, there's always a place for false prophets because people don't want to hear the truth. And rejecting the truth, it's amazing. To me, it's amazing how the people who've grown up hearing the truth, and then they'll go away from that, and they'll take stuff that's so bizarre and get involved in that. And uh, uh, many, many illustrations we can make, but I want you to Look over there in Jeremiah. Jeremiah 
In Jeremiah, the fifth chapter, and verse 30, a wonderful and horrible thing, that word horrible or wonderful means astonishing, not that it's a wonderful in a glorious way, but an astonishing and horrible thing is committed in the land. The prophets prophesy falsely, the priests bear rule by their means, and my people love to have it so. And what will you do in the end thereof? They would rather hear, the, hear a lie, hear false, falseness, than have to deal with the truth, because the truth uh, calls you to accountability. And so people who, it's just amazing how he, people who reject the truth are what they will uh, go into. And we're going to point out some specific things as we go through here. But uh, it's a familiar theme in the Bible over and over and over, warning both in the Old Testament and the New Testament against false prophets. In uh, Matthew, some of these I'll just read for you, but some of them I'll get you to turn and look at. In Matthew 24, a great chapter on prophecy, uh, but Matthew 24 and verse 24, we have a very clear warning against false prophets. Matthew 24 and 24, 23, he says, And if any man shall say unto you, Lo, here is Christ, or there, believe it not. Do you, do you understand today that there's still people who are saying, I'm the Messiah? And that's not just, you know, some kind of historical things in the past. For there, shall, for, for there shall arise false Christ and false prophets and shall show great signs and wonders insomuch if it were possible they would deceive the very elect. Mark says, For false Christ and false prophets shall rise and show signs and wonders to seduce, if it were possible, even the elect. And then uh, go with me over to Second uh, Peter. Actually, Second Peter is a great book to get into, especially uh, from chapter 2, because it deals with false prophets. And if we have time at the end, we're going to make some comparisons in Second Peter chapter 2. But in Second Peter chapter 2 and verse 1, But there were false prophets also among the people, even as there shall be false teachers among you, who privately shall bring in damnable heresies, even denying the Lord that bought them, and bring upon themselves swift destruction. And many shall follow their pernicious ways, by reason of whom the way of truth shall be evil spoken of. And boy, don't we have that today, how truth is evil spoken of. First John 4 says, Beloved, believe not every spirit, but try the spirits, whether they are of God, because many false prophets are gone out into the world. And First uh, Timothy 4, Now the Spirit speaketh expressly, that in the latter times some shall depart from the faith, giving heed to seducing spirits and doctrines of devils, speaking lies and hypocrisy, 
having their conscience seared with a hot iron, forbidding to marry. I always found that interesting because that's exactly what the Catholic Church did with their priests. And commanding to abstain from meats. And, and when I was a little boy, uh, every Saturday, you, a Catholic, good Catholic, had to eat fish. And I, I think that's kind of been done away with. Which God hath created to be received with thanksgiving of them which believe and know the truth. In 2 Timothy 4, 2, he says, Preach the word, be instant in season and out of season. Reprove, rebuke, and exhort with all longsuffering and doctrine. For the time will come when they will not endure sound doctrine. But after their own lust, they shall heap to themselves teachers having itching ears. And they shall turn away their ears from the truth and shall be turned unto fables. And so... Uh, just reading those to say, say to you that this thing about false prophets is not um, just uh, something that's interesting. We need to uh, beware. Which, we'll probably say this again, which demands that we do more of the Great Commission than just seeing souls saved. People need to be discipled. And a lot of, and some of these people that, that get hooked into these false prophets have come from easy believism churches or from churches who just major on evangelism and never ever teach the people. And so actually the Bible kind of refers to, to three types of people, three kinds of people that, that are linked to falseness. Uh, the first that we'll talk about, and it won't be long in these three, but the first is the Bible talks about the heretic. The second it talks about is the apostate. And then the third is the deceiver or the false prophet. Now the heretic, the heretic is easily identified. He comes along and he'll say of the Bible, that's not true. That's a lie. I don't believe the Bible, and he teaches heresy. They're pretty easy to identify because all I need to do is take my Bible and say, oh, you're saying this, but the Bible says this. I believe this Bible clearly, if you want to study it out and look at the evidence, is, is supernatural. That it's written by God, and it has things in it that only a divine being could know. And so they're easily to identify. And Titus says to us that we're to admonish them. A man that is a heretic after the first and second admonition reject. The second, the second one we have up here is the apostate. He's the one who denies Christianity, he departs from it, he's uh, 
actually uh, previously here in, in Matthew chapter 7, he said in verse 6, uh, Give not that which is holy unto the dogs, neither cast your pearls before the swine. The apostate are the hogs and the dogs of our society. They, they just refuse to believe. They're just, they're just completely apostate. And also, they're, they're easy to spot. You just say, okay, you say this. The Bible says this. And uh, a lot of times the apostate will speak out of the authority of himself. That's where my authority lies. Well, those are easy to spot. But the deceiver... He is a quite different, the false prophet. He is not easily identified. And I want you to see here, it's interesting, and, and I, uh, I found this in studying, but I think that I, I want to lean towards what I'm going to tell you, where it says, Beware of false prophets which come to you in sheep's clothing. I used to think that it's like, uh, you know, that you put on, you've been skinned out something and you put it on and you look like a sheep. But the people in the Bible who wore sheep's clothing were the shepherds. And so they come to you as a shepherd. They come to you in, implying that they know, that they, that they are God's man that uh, they, they are the wearing of the wool. And so, when we talk about the false prophet, we're not talking about the Mormon. We're not talking about the Jehovah Witness. We're not talking about someone who belongs to Christian science. Someone who openly and flagrantly teaches false doctrine. Those are the apostates and the heretics. But this here, this one that comes to you in sheep's clothing, he's the one who talks about Jesus. He talks about the cross. He talks about God. He talks about the Bible. He talks about the church and the Holy Spirit. He hangs around with true Christians. He's on the radio. He's on television. He's in the pulpit preaching. He sits on the platform. He writes books. And he always looks like a Christian. That's what's referred to here. Not the apostate, not the heretic. And we shouldn't be surprised at that. If you look over in uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 11, First Corinthians chapter 11, okay, this is the wrong verse, uh, one minute, maybe. Maybe it was Second Corinthians. Anyway, I'll read you. I got the verse here, but I just don't have it right. For such are false prophets, deceitful workers, 
transforming themselves into the apostles of Christ. And no marvel, for Satan himself is transformed into an angel of light. Therefore, it is no great thing if his ministers also be transformed as ministers of righteousness, whose end shall be according to their works. And so that verse, was it 2 Corinthians? Okay. 2 Corinthians 11, 13, and 14 says that. And, and what, the key there is that Satan makes himself an angel of light, and we shouldn't be surprised if even in our midst will come one who seems to be wonderful. You know, our church is so blessed to have this person join our church. What I'm trying to get you, get you to understand is, is that false prophets aren't always out there. You see, it says here that they transfer themselves into the angels of light. And then in, in uh, Jude chapter 1, look over there in Jude. Some key words here. In Jude chapter 1, Jude and Peter have a lot of same uh, things that they talk about. But in Jude chapter 1, for there are certain, in verse 4, for there are certain men crept in unawares who were before of old ordained to this condemnation, ungodly men, turning the grace of our God into lasciviousness and denying the only Lord God and our Lord Jesus Christ. But what I want you to see here is the word where it says they crept in unawares. These guys just kind of oozed in. They look like Christians. They talk like Christians. And uh, they're false prophets. Look over in, uh, in let's see, yeah, 2 Peter 2 and verse 1. I should have got it a while ago. 2 Peter 2 and 1. There were false prophets also among the people, even there shall be false prophets, teachers among you, who privily or privately shall bring in damnable heresies. How does that happen? Well, he comes and he visits, you know, and he maybe even, uh, you know, is so slick that he joins the church, or maybe he doesn't join the church, and, and he says, uh, you know, it kind of gets up to Brother Chris, and Chris and him have some things similar. He says, hey, why don't you come on over for supper tonight? Bring your wife, and if Sarah's there, bring her over. And Chris says, okay, wonderful. And then he starts, uh, you know, dropping a little thing here and a little thing there, and just kind of oozes in. He's not going to get up and, and say something publicly, but he's going to make friends and influence people. That's the false prophet. And uh, one thing that I think that uh, we need to, uh, maybe you should see these verses here. Uh, look at 1 Timothy. I think there's a real, in the endeavoring to be, I don't, wouldn't say spiritual, but to be, have, show mercy maybe, people aren't called out. First Timothy 1 and 20. One in, First Timothy 1 and verse 19. 
holding faith in a good conscience, which some have put away concerning faith, have made shipwreck, of whom is Hymenaeus and Alexander, whom I've delivered unto Satan, that they may not that they may learn not to blaspheme. Paul publicly identified two men. You know, people will say, I've heard preachers say stuff like, well, I know this person and they, this, 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 and, what the, and, this, and the things that they're talking about this person are, is atrocious and they're dangerous, but they won't say who it is. And in some churches, God forgive, forgive, uh, forbid that a preacher would get up and call out Jack Hiles. 2 Timothy 2 and 17. This guy, Hymenaeus, I don't know if it's the same one, but he was making, he was making uh, inroads. Verse 17, 2 Timothy 2. And their word will eat as doth a canker, of whom is Hymenaeus and Philetus. And then chapter 4 and verse 4. He says, and they shall turn away their ears from uh, fables, and they, shall, uh, and they shall turn away their ears from the truth, and shall be turned to fables. I thought there was a name there, but anyway, I'm simply saying that wolves need to be identified. Now, I think there's a, uh, maybe a little caution here. Let's be careful when people are teaching error that we, especially the heretic, that we uh, deal with them with maybe more mercy. When someone believes false doctrine and he's mistaken about what the truth is, you know, we, we read the verse, after one or two admonitions, the heretic rejects, but There's some people that we need to try to, you know, say, you know, you're saying this, but this is what the Bible says. And we have a wonderful example of that, don't we? When uh, Paul uh, or Ananias and Aquila and Priscilla took in this guy named Apollos and showed him, the Bible says that they showed him the way more perfectly. Um, I think it says in Acts 18, and he began to speak boldly in the synagogue whom when Aquila and Priscilla had heard, they took him unto them and expounded unto him the way of God more perfectly. And he wanted to hear it. But I guarantee you this, if he's a false prophet and you challenge him about what he's teaching, you made an enemy for the rest of your life. And so, let us not be let us not get sidelined and wolf hunting. You can't, uh, you can't get much many places wolf hunting. Paul said to Timothy, and the servant of the Lord must not strive, but be gentle unto all men, apt to teach, patient, in meekness, instructing those that oppose themselves. If God preventive will give them repentance and a knowledge of the truth, those who are false teachers, though, we got to deal with them more firmly. Now, as I said earlier, 
Many who become false prophets, and especially followers of false prophets, have been exposed to the truth. Look again here in 2 Timothy chapter 4 and verse 1. Our charge ye therefore before God and the Lord Jesus Christ, who shall judge the quick and the dead as is appearing in his kingdom, preach the word, be instant in season and out of season, reprove, rebuke, exhort with all longsuffering and doctrine. For the time will come when they will not endure sound doctrine, but after their own lust shall heap to themselves teachers having itching ears. And they shall turn away their ears from the truth and shall be turned unto fables. The only place you can go after rejecting the truth is to error. And people want to, you know, they want to, they want to go someplace where they agree with them. Now some of this will prove that I'm an old fogey, but you already know this. Uh, back in the 1970s, some of you uh, never saw those days. There was a man by the name of Jim, Jim Jones who founded a church called the People's Temple that was centered uh, after being in some other areas. Finally, it really took root in, in San Francisco. Can any good thing come from San Francisco? <laughs> we shouldn't say that. He was heavily involved in the social work. He did a lot for the people on the streets. He had a bit of a Pentecostal flavor. And he definitely was a false prophet who in the end, he claimed to be the Messiah. And you'll remember, if you know anything about it, he took his group of 918 people, and sometimes more, sometimes less, to Guyana there at the top of South America. And there in Guyana in 1978, over 900 people drank the Kool-Aid and were killed there. Well, a guy by the name of Tim Stone, S-T-O-E-N, Stone, I guess, he was the second most powerful man in the People's Temple. He was in it for probably over 10 years. He left the movement a year before the mass suicide. He joined it, as I said, about 10 years in 1968. Uh, he had a law degree from Stanford University. He was the assistant district attorney for San Francisco until he resigned to go to Jonestown. And so these people aren't stupid, all of them, okay? It's not the ignorant poor that are being duped by this. Later in 1977, Tim defected from the cult and worked tirelessly to get his son out of the cult until the awful Saturday in November 1978 when John Victor, age six, was found dead lying next to Jones on the jungle runway. This man doing the interview of Tim Stone, Coach Stone, he said, I was raised in a Christian home. My parents were fundamentalists, members of the General Association of Regular Baptists. I went to Sunday school and college all my young life. I attended Wheaton College, 
a leading evangelical Christian college in Illinois, and was involved in student leadership. When I moved to California, I joined and attended regularly the First Presbyterian Church in Berkeley for two years. I was president of their Corinthians a business and professional young adult group. I admired and respected the Presbyterian evangelical, uh, their evangelicalism and their social concern, and he appreciated the pastoral staff. I was attending First Presbyterian in the People's Temple until I joined Jim Jones' staff. Gene Mills, another victim, was for seven years a member of the temple and one of Jones' writers and a member of the planning commission said, I attended or taught in my church's Christian education program from my childhood. When I was 18 years old, I was a leader of the Pathfinders Club, which had over 50 kids in it, and I had 22 adults working under me. I could give you an answer from the Bible for any question. I knew the Bible backward and forward. At one point in my life, the minister tried to send me to college to become a Bible worker. I was very dedicated to the church. Wayne Patilla, who was Jones' private bodyguard and driver, grew up in Nazarene Sunday School. His wife and longtime member of the cult grew up in a charismatic church and attended Sunday School and church regularly. Bonnie Thillman, for six years a member of the temple, was the daughter of the Assembly of God missionaries to Brazil and attended Bethany College, a Lutheran school in Minnesota. Carolyn Moore was president of her Methodist youth fellowship group, and she and her sister Annie were children of Methodist ministers. And so people who had explored to Christianity had been, you know, uh, it, exposed to Christianity uh, became prime members of this movement. Maybe just a rabbit trail, but uh, questions need to be asked when people profess Christ. And we know that the parable of the sower it talks about, you know, there's going to be some, you know, with a joy, you know, the, on the shallow ground. They received it immediately. But when, when trials and stuff came, they left it. And so false professions are part of life from the days of Christ. But we need to be diligent about what we do. And, and, and I've kind of found that if a person is really, truly saved, you're not going to talk them out of it. God's done something in their life. So, what do these guys look like? Well, they wear sheep's clothing, as we've already said. They're pleasant. They got a big cheesy smile on. <laughs> Joel Steen. They seem positive. They're affirming. They seem Christians, they hang around Christians. They talk the Christian talk and they say the right things. But you see, it's not, it's not, the, it's not the right things, it's not the right things that they say.
There's a lot of right things said in preaching. And we can say amen. But it's the things not said. There are certain things that I'm going to preach on. I'm going to stay away from it. And primarily, a lot of these evangelical guys on the radio and on television, they say the right things. There's some good stuff. But they're not going to get it controversial. And they're not really preaching the whole counsel of God. So I was talking the other day to my wife, but, you know, it just, it just seems like sometimes as independent Baptists, that we are so ugly. That we uh, always again it. And sometimes you think, wouldn't it be nice just to be able to go to church someplace and, and uh, the smooth things were taught. You know, you can go in and feel good and you can leave, feel good. And so here I go to the doctor and I have cancer and it's serious cancer, but it's treatable. And he says to me, well, you know, your results turned out pretty good and you're looking pretty good and I expect you to live a couple more years at least at 72 and, you know, just uh, eat well and go have a good day. Well, he would be a, he would be a criminal. That would be criminal action. And so is the preacher who won't warn there's repercussions for lives that are not biblical, don't follow a pattern of scripture. The sin does reap, and lives can be affected. And so we find them in sheep's clothing. We find their type of people. We're just looking at uh, how we might identify them, and we can identify them I don't know, I'm not fishing some rabbits today. We'll see how much time I got home. I might make it. Um, we could say, maybe first we could just say they're smooth. And it's not what they say, but it's what they don't say. Second um, Peter, again. Again, let me say to you that Second Peter chapter 2 and the whole book is really has a lot to say about false prophets. But Second Peter 2, and verse one, but there shall be, but there were false prophets also among the people, even as there shall be false prophets, false teachers among you, who privately shall bring in damnable heresies, even deny the Lord that bought them, and bring upon themselves swift destruction. 
And many shall follow their pernicious ways by reason of whom the way of truth is evil spoken of. And through covetousness shall they with feigned words make merchandise of you, whose judgment now of a long time lingereth not, and their damnation slumbereth not. When it comes to the sheep, he is only there to use them. To make merchandise of you. He's there to benefit from you. Not to be a blessing to you. Back in the first century, there was this book written. I'd like to get it to see really how close it is to uh, the Bible. But it was called the Didact. Uh, I don't even how, know how you pronounce it. It was is D-I-D-A-C-H-E. And it wasn't, nobody claimed that it was inspired, but it was just some rules written and some, you know, some, some uh, recommendations given to the first century churches. And in that, uh, in that uh, book, it talked about false prophets. And there was a Greek word called Christian poros. Uh, Christian poros. And when you interpret that, it was said they're Christ merchants. They use Christ, they trade in Christ, they sell Christ for personal gain, they pad their pockets, they build their empires. They are today's happy Holy Spirit healers. They're the positive thinkers. There are people who just wind up on the gravy train end of it, sucking everything out of you. The Joel Osteens, the Jimmy Bakers, the Bishop Jakes. And so they're Christ sellers. Okay, here's some little humorous things here, but uh, I think they're true. How would we identify them? Well, number one, confront the person about a matter of sin or ask him about questionable practices or problems you see in their private life. And isn't it amazing that eventually every, not necessarily every one of these, does it come to the focus, but a lot of these guys end up being exposed for severe immorality. Baker. Swaggered, older people, but even here lately, some other ones. Uh, what was that? Uh, dollar something? Creflo, Creflo dollar. They're all. <clears throat> what goes hand in hand with with uh, with uh, false prophets is uh, sin. So just ask them about their sin. Or confront them about an erroneous doctrine they've been teaching. Or try to ask them about why they don't teach certain subjects. Or try to place a hand on their cash box and ask for some accountability in accounting. And so the Bible says here that they are 
uh, ravening wolves. Ravening means to catch away, to seize, to grasp, to tear you up. In English, that word ravenous means to be greedy for food, for your own gratification, excessive, violent, grasping. And in the end, they're trying to, you know, gain for themselves. I don't know if you realize it, but uh, religion is a money-making proposition. And that's why the Bible tells the pastor not to be greedy of filthy lucre. But it tells us back there that you can know them by their fruit. By their fruit, you can know them. And it, and it talked about um, taking figs from, well, let me see the exact wording. Uh, it says, you shall know them by their fruit. Do men gather grapes of thorns or figs of thistles? There's a number of interpretations for that, but let me give you one. Apparently, there was a plant in the first century there called a buckthorn, and it had little black berries on it that looked like grapes. And there was a certain, certain thistle that had a flower on it that looked like a fig. But one bite from those would readily let you know that that's not what it is. And so when we see, you see the product of their ministry, you see the fruits of it, but also the fruits of their own life. Galatians talks about fruit, doesn't it? Let's go to Galatians. In Galatians chapter 5 and verse 19. Now the works of the flesh are manifest, which are these. Here's, here's the fruit of the flesh. Adultery. A lot of false prophets in adultery. Fornication. Uncleanness. Lasciviousness. Idolatry. Witchcraft. Hatred. Variance. Emulations. Wrath. Strife. Seditions. Heresy. Envies. Murders. Drunkenness. Revilings. And such like. Of which I tell you before... <coughs> And as, as I have also told you in times past, that they which do such things shall not inherit the kingdom of God. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, long-suffering, gentleness, goodness, faith, meekness, temperance. Against such there is no law. And they that are Christ have crucified the flesh with affections and lust. If we live in the Spirit, let us walk in the Spirit. Let us not be desirous of vain glory, provoking one another and envying another one another. Okay, I've got three minutes. Go to uh, 2, Timothy, uh, 2 Peter chapter 2.
Let's look at the difference between godly men and false prophets. Second Peter, they have a the source for their message is different. In Second Peter 1.16, it says, For we have not followed cunningly divine fables, which we made known unto you in the power of the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ, but were eyewitnesses of his majesty. For we received from God the Father glory when we such voice to him excellent glory. This is my beloved son. And just to make it short, this is where we get our, where a godly man gets his source of his message. We have also a more sure word of prophecy, whereunto you do well that you take heed as unto a light that shineth in a dark place until the day dawn and the day star rise in your heart. And so there's a different source. If you look at, if you look at the source of the uh, false prophet in chapter 2 and verse 3, and through covetousness shall, shall they with vain words make merchandise of you. Those words, vain words, the word vain means it's made up. <laughs> Where did you get this? Well, I made it up. Oh, no. Last night in my sleep I was awoken and God revealed this to me. I got a message from God. Better watch out when that happens. They have a different message. In chapter 2 and verse 1, uh, uh, chapter 2, um, uh, Second Peter 2 and verse, uh, chapter 1 and verse 3, he says, According to his divine power, goodness, all things pertain to life and godliness through the knowledge of him that hath called us into glory and virtue. It's through the knowledge of him. But in Second, T- Second Peter, uh, t- chapter 2 and verse 1, the false prophets, you see in there, even damnable heresies. Their message is a different message. They have a different position. In chapter 2, verse 1, and verse, uh, verse okay, two, okay, chapter 1, verse 4, whereby are given unto us exceeding great and promises, great and precious promises, that by these ye might be partakers of the divine nature, having escaped the corruption of the world through lust. And so we have a a divine nature about us. But if you look in chapter 2 and verse 19, it says of the false prophet, while they promise them liberty, they themselves are servants of corruption. Not a divine nature, but servants of corruption for whom a man is overcome, the same as brought into bondage. Um, so their character is different. And I would just encourage you to go and... Uh, Look at these comparisons. There's about six different ones there. But chapter 2 specifically helps us to uh, know the character of a false prophet. Okay, the crisis. The command. Beware. Beware of false prophets. And so... Our king has given us a command, and the command is to beware of false prophets. Now here's the deal. You don't know what's false unless you know what's true.
And Paul said of the people at Berea, these were more noble than, them, than those in Thessalonica in that they received the word with all readiness of mind and searched the scriptures daily whether those things were so. Well, we think we can just be bop along in life. But don't you know that Tim Schoen, or Tim whatever that guy's name was, don't you know that his G-A-R-B parents struggled with where they went wrong in teaching him the truth? Teaching them to observe all things whatsoever I've commanded you. <clears throat> of course, we have false professors and people who, who aren't truly saved. But listen, those people who went to Ghana, Guyana and drank the Kool-Aid, they were in a terrible, terrible bondage and deception. You can know the truth, and the truth will set you free. The good defense is a good offense. If you know what you believe, you, I, you know, I don't have to go study Mormons and Christian science and every new thing that comes down the street. If I know what I believe, I can tell error almost immediately. You know, these guys, they look like Christians, they're acting like Christians. But there's something that smells about them. And, and, and in my soul, I just get a, there's just something that's, you know, something's, something's messed up here. And if you get into it, you'll find out what it is. I'm, I'm probably going to preach a message one day if the pastor allows me to preach it. And on the sufficiency of the scripture... I'm telling you, in many areas, it's being undermined. And it's being undermined even with independent Baptist men that I know personally. And uh, wolves will eat your lunch for you. All right. I'm pretty, I'm pretty cranked up about uh, the sufficiency of God's word.